Welcome to Law X.0, a Bloomberg Law podcast dedicated to seeing around corners and preparing you for the next version of the legal industry. Welcome to Law X.0. I'm Dory Goldstein. And I'm Meg McAvoy. We're legal analysts for Bloomberg Law. Technology is changing the world of IP law. So the traditional non-tech optimized setup is this. An inventor has an idea. They apply to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for a patent. If they get it, they have a couple of options for monetizing that patent. They can license it for fees or they can sell it. Both of those steps usually require working with a broker, which can be expensive. Right. An inventor doesn't really know how much a patent is worth until they go through that license or sale process. When the patent office grants a patent, it doesn't exactly tell inventors how close their patented invention is relative to similar patents, which would be at least some indication of value. And most license sale transactions aren't public, so there's no central, transparent market for researching patent value. Our guest today believes this system could be more transparent and more efficient through the use of AI analytics and blockchain. Eric Spangenberg is the CEO and co-founder of IPWE, a patent ecosystem platform that connects buyers and sellers of patents and provides analytics on patent transactions. Welcome, Eric. Good afternoon. Eric, can you talk a little bit about what's going on in the patent world that made you want to change it? Yeah, so I've been involved in the patent industry since 2003, um, and what I saw was an incredibly inefficient market. Um, but an incredibly large market. So by point of reference, the UN estimates that acquisition and licensing in the patent market is averages about uh, $200 billion with a B a year. Um, when wow. you add in the cost to maintain and obtain these um, and financing, the, the market is just, is just massive, but has significant issues. No agreed upon way to value them, even no agreed way to uh, measure ROI. Um, and that's something that we are setting out to fix. So tell us how IPWE addresses some of these issues. So um, we're focused largely on the financial and business development functions rather than the legal functions. So to put the lawyers at ease, um, we think that lawyers continue to play a critical role in the IP space, but the transactional aspects of IP, acquisition, sale, licensing, financings, and things like this, um, will evolve, um, and that's our main focus. So how does this actually change the process for average patent attorneys? I think that when we first introduced this uh, about uh, a year and a half ago, um, there was a sense that somehow or another we were threatening their livelihood. Um, and what I, what I explained to them was is actually not at all. Relatively low-value work is can be done by the AI tools that we make available to you for free, and then you as the attorney can focus in on the higher value things that A, are more interesting to you, and B, your client is more interested in paying for. So as opposed to trying to threaten the system and displace the lawyers, what we're actually doing is, is making it more interesting for them, hopefully more profitable for them. And as we do that, the net effect is the number of transactions that are going to go up. So I actually see legal spend rising. Now, margins on a particular transaction might fall, but overall, we want to see transactional volume go up. And we think that's good for the legal system. In terms of creating more transparency in the transactions part of the process, uh, what are the data points that the platform is is showing to users? So as hard as this is to believe, um, there are approximately 200 patent offices in the world, and there's no one place to get the information on the world's approximately 20 million patents. Closest you can get is something like Google Patents, 
where they have, I think, 36 of the world's uh, patent offices. So the, the, even at that high level, the record is woefully incomplete. Um, we put together something called the Global Patent Registry to try to address that. Some companies spend a fair amount of time attempting to obscure who owns a particular patent. Um, AI is going to result in that no longer being possible or a deficient means to obscure your identity. Um, and then on the transactional side, what we are hoping to do is is bring more transparency to both pricing. Um, and let me be really precise on this. We're not going to give you an exact price. These aren't cans of peas. Um, they have different value to different people. And so the example I give to people um, is that, you know, a bottle of water to someone who's two weeks in the desert probably has a higher value than someone who's standing in a 7-Eleven next to a water counter. But that doesn't change the fundamental value of the asset. So if we can get you within a couple standard deviations of where that asset should trade based upon your unique attributes, um, it should promote transactions. I, I've read that you use blockchain um, in in building this platform. Can you talk about how that really comes into it and what that does? So when we say blockchain, we specifically mean uh, Hyperledger. And what we use it for is, is that it facilitates transactional efficiencies. Um, things like uh, smart contracts that you hear a lot about, put it aside. It's, it's, it's a word that's um, unfortunately led to a lot of confusion. But think about it this way. Um, sure, it's if-then statements that are developed from the contract, but think about it from an administration perspective, is that you know forever you'll have a computer reminding you of your future event, whether that's a royalty report um, or a payment that's due or insurance that needs to be taken place, as opposed to you having to go back and look at the contract. To me, that's the important smart aspect of it. And again, the key is, is that the efficiencies that it brings in and to tie back to your legal point as well, the other thing that people thought about blockchain is, is disintermediation. I think it has that effect to some extent, but nowhere near to the extent it'll have in the financial system. The, the, there will be service providers and, and lawyers that are going to continue to be key to the system, and blockchain is not going to do anything to eliminate them. And I know that IPWE also works using artificial intelligence. Can you talk about how you all are using AI, and how is that different? The U.S. Patent Office is also trying to in theory, create some of these efficiencies through using AI. So how do you all use it versus how the patent office uses it? Yeah, so um, we've been in the AI space, and in particular, a subset of that called predictive analytics since 2007 when we bought a spin-out that it's originally spun out of the University of Minnesota. Um, And we use it to measure key attributes of a patent. So um, for your audience that might understand something like validity, um, or even to a certain extent, commercial value. Um, the the AI tools that we use are pretty good at that. But let me tell you what they're not. They're not magic answer machines. At the end of the day, you still want to apply human augmentation to it. So does it reduce the work by 70%, 80%, something like that on the, on the indicators that it's good at, um, but it doesn't completely replace the human component. But what it does is for many people, that initial discovery Whereas before, I would hand you a patent, and the first thing you have to do is hand it off to some patent expert or lawyer. You can now begin to do that exploration yourself and then make the business decision. Is it, you know, are the mathematical probabilities such that it's worth your time making additional investment, engaging additional professionals, or engaging additional people on your in-house team to see whether or not something's relevant to you? I mean, these sound like great solutions, but the patent industry problems aren't really very new, and there have been a lot of attempts to sort of 
fix it in the past and they haven't really taken hold. Why is IPWE different? What, what I think the difference is, and in certain respects we're just fortunate, is that the AI and exponential technologies have simply gotten significantly better than they were than when they were in the past. And you've had some fundamental changes as well. Is is that I think today that capital is actually truly interested in figuring out how to unlock uh, tangible value. So whether that's you know hedge funds, banks, or uh, even government capital. Uh, they recognize that we've got to figure this out as it becomes an increasing percentage of balance sheets. And people have been talking about this problem since long before I got in the patent space in 2003. It's just that it wasn't technologically enabled. Um, and again, mm-hmm. we, we're not saying we're at the final point where we'll you know, put a patent number into a machine, it'll spit out a value, and that'll be it. But what we're saying is, is that we've lowered the discovery costs enough that it's now possible to be successful. You have said that 75 to 80 percent of patents out there are junk. <laughs> what what makes a patent junk and, and how do you decide what makes it good or bad? So you caught me on a bad day. Um, but uh, <laughs> speaking in the vernacular, junk is a word that I think people understand, but a better choice of word would have been limited commercial value. Um, so ah, it's, sure. it's softer a little. But look, at, patents can lack commercial value for a, you know, a, n- a number of regions, uh, raising from the, that they're way ahead of their time, right? Uh, you know, space boots, time machines, those type of things, um, or, or that they were poorly drafted, right? That somebody tried to, we, we see this every now and then, is that, you know, somebody tried to save as much money as they could, um, didn't do a prior art search, and then, you know, didn't, didn't draft the patent well. But I would say that there's nothing unique about patents in this regard either. Many asset classes have this, you know, artwork, I suspect the numbers are even higher. Um, you might, you might admire them, you might like the painting, but limit, you know, lim- limited commercial value. Um, and same thing even among commodities like cotton, right? Not all cotton is commercial grade. So I think a better way to think about it is, is that there's give or take, you know, 20 million patents in the world and somewhere around, uh, you know, five to 8 million of those have, you know, apparent commercial value. Now, that doesn't mean over their 17-year life they're not going to develop into commercial value, but that's not the market we're focused in on. We don't have future prediction capabilities, um, but on the ones that we're focused in on the ones that have commercial value. Say more about why it's important to determine a patent's commercial value. If you have a uh, patent with commercial value, there's all kinds of interesting things you can do with it. You can just hang on to it. Um, and, and, and recognize the value and sit on it for some reason. You can license it, sell it, do, uh, pursue some commercial opportunity, either yourselves or with a JV partner if you don't have the time to do it, or you could do something like uh, financing. And so what we're able to do with our AI tools, you're able to relatively quickly narrow down the subset of the universe of patents that likely have commercial value. That's the key to what AI does. And just a few years ago, I mean, back when I was a patent troll, we literally would slog through these things one at a time, um, and you no longer have to do that. Can we talk a little bit about your patent troll history? <laughs> We're so glad you brought that up. <laughs> Coincidence. Um, I know you had another business, IP Nav, and that, like you said, people referred to you as a patent troll. Do you find that the patent world is a little bit reluctant to do business with you because of that history? No, not, look, I, I embrace it. Um, I was absolutely a patent troll from uh, 2003 to 2012, and I was really good at it. Um, but you know, during that same time, we also spent 
$25 million developing our AI tools, did uh, we, we acted as a principal, not advisor, on over $2 billion of financings and licensing transactions. And that's just something that very few people globally can lay claim to. So the, mar- the market knows we understand uh, the asset class, and they know it's a fairly small universe of people that, that do from a, both a finance and a, and, and a technical perspective. And so our reception on the global patent market um, has really been nothing short of exceptional. And we find most large companies and SMEs and innovators are open to figuring out if there's a better way to manage this asset class. I have to kind of ask about the IPW now, talking about that history of patent trolling. You've, we know that IPW can help innovators look for sort of underdeveloped areas. Is there a risk of abuse? Are you making life easier for patent trolls with this product? I understand the question, and I've been asked that in you know various different formats, but. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, no, yeah. So, but, but I, I don't think that there's anything unique that about patent trolls or practicing entities out looking for valuable assets, whether they own them themselves and they want to go through and figure out which ones to do something as simple as which ones should we pay maintenance fees on and which ones we shouldn't, um, to which ones you know do our competitors have. That you know we should be thinking about. I mean, a, a really contemporary example is is what's going on in the in the auto space. You know, the auto OEMs, the auto manufacturers, were caught completely flat-footed by 3G, 4G, and now 5G, um, and will end up paying somewhere around $15 a car for that. If they had been more proactive four or five years ago, uh, they probably could have had that for you know a dollar a car. So. Whether or not you see Ericsson and Nokia as patent trolls or patent exploiters, um, you know that you feel free to give them whatever moniker you like. But what I would say is, in large part, the issue was with the auto OEMs for not anticipating where they were headed from a technological perspective, and not being more proactive in uh, pursuing licensing transactions, which they could have done at a far lower price if they've gotten there before Avanzi. I'm still trying to understand kind of the universe of people who uh, will be using IPWE and, and what they can use it for. How much of the process is visible to entities who are not transacting? Uh, the AI tools I've described to you, we give those away. Um, anybody can go to, you know, IPWE.com um, and access those tools. They can put in words or phrases or patent numbers or whatever they want, and they're not tracked. They're not, uh, and, 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 you know, obtain whatever information they want. Um, from a transactional perspective, we encourage both sides of the transaction to fully disclose whatever it is um, that they're that they're doing, um, and we give them the option to you know fully disclose it. I, either way, what we're going to do is is that we're going to encourage them to do it on an anonymous basis, even if they don't want to do it with respect to a particular patent transaction. But we we think it's odd, right? If you look at it historically, for whatever reason. Uh, Patent owners wanted to keep their licensing transactions secret, so they've got you know decent assets that they're able to license, and then they want to keep the license price that they pay secret for some reason on, on both sides, both licensees and licensors. If I'm the licensor or the patent owner, I actually would be proud of that, right? It, it, it's something that I would want the market to know, and it's something that would result in additional, likely additional transactions from there being price discovery. It, it's it was always awkward. During my during my time as a large patent owner, 
when, you know, I, I was of the same way. I didn't want to tell people what the pricing was. But as I started to think about that a little later during that time, I said, well, this is just bizarre. We should actually be disclosing the pricing um, and letting the market know what it is. And we also don't think that what you have to do is ask five times or 10 times in some cases what you really want. Um, so we think if we can lower the transaction cost and encourage that transparency, that it'll actually benefit patent owners by encouraging more transactions, something economists call price discovery. Um, if that's kept secret, a market never develops. I mean, that kind of goes back to what you mentioned before, which is that the price of a bottle of water for someone who's been in the desert for two weeks is very different uh, than than for the average person. Does this transparency with your tool as the ecosystem kind of builds and bills, does it help with policy issues like essential patents, for example, or or price gouging that can happen on, on other types of inventions? Yeah, we hope so. We all want to think of our inventions as exceptional, right? Um, you know, the definition of patent troll for many companies is, is you know, whoever owns patents other than them. Um, but what we think is, is that, you know, that's just it, it's it's not helpful. Microsoft was famously accused by one company of being a patent troll. Microsoft is many things. It's not a patent troll. Um, it, and so what I would say is, is that the patent troll moniker to me is earned by mispricing. And that's the thing that gives rise to that claim. So to the extent that we can start to n narrow the ranges, I, I refer to it as a couple standard deviations of what optimal pricing should be. I think that we can you know, help to help to reduce that. Um, and it will be a good thing from a societal level on down to an innovator level. You mentioned before the potential for new types of patent financings. Can you talk about the possibilities you see there? The thing that's changed is, is that it's technologically enabled, but at a more macro level, um, and particularly focused in on the SME world, um, you know, extremely large percentage of their balance sheets are uh, intangibles. Um, and very few of them are fortunate enough to be able to access, you know, VCs and equity. So they're forced into they're forced into the credit market. Um, banks aren't there on the intangible side. I think that alt credit funds are, um, and that's what's going to change over the next few years. Is is that, and particularly in a ridiculously low interest rate environment like we're in now. Um, people are going to seek those higher returns, and these SMEs are going to be willing to pay it because from a cost of capital perspective, it's far cheaper than issuing equity. So it's this convergence of technology, capital being available, and SMEs wanting to be a part of it that I think will, dri will, will drive this market. Um, and we're seeing it, for example, in China, for example. So China will do $20 billion equivalent of IP financing this year. It's largely unheard of in the West. It, you know, it's about a two, three billion dollar market in the U.S. So we're about ten percent of what, what what China is. It's going to spread from China to the West and from the West back to China. There's going to be different ways of doing it, but the key is the technology and the attitude that are going to drive it. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for joining us. This has been a fascinating discussion. If our listeners want to follow you or find out more about what IPWE is doing, where can they find you? So uh, www.ipwe.com, um, and all the information you need is there. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. That was former patent troll Eric Spangenberg talking about how his company is using tech to optimize patent transactions and create transparency in the patent market. Join us next week when we'll talk about office housework and find out what happens when three male analysts plan a baby shower. 
You've been listening to Law X.0 from Bloomberg Law. For more Bloomberg Law analysis, visit news.bloomberglaw.com slash Bloomberg hyphen law hyphen analysis. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dory underscore Goldstein. That's D-O-R-I underscore G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm at Meg McAvoy, M-E-G-M-C-E-V-O-Y. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. You probably have a lot of questions about the environment. Well, so do we. Are we talking like radioactive chemicals? Is this becoming sort of irrelevant if the U.S. doesn't participate in this? What's going on here? How far did the Trump administration go? And Is mining really better down where it's wetter? Climate change, chemicals, water pollution, you name it. If it's in the environment, we're talking about it. Listen to Bloomberg Environment's official podcast, Parts Per Billion, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, get up-to-the-minute reporting at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com.